Hey, I'm Hypermobile, and if you're listening to this, I'm guessing you might be too. Hi, my name is Alex, and I'm your Hypermobile host, and today we are talking all about hypermobility and the workplace. Now, in my work as a UK registered osteopath, this is something which comes up a lot in my management of patients. A lot of my patients have to be able to work or they are able to work and they're continuing to do that right now. And because work takes up so much of someone's time, it's something that I consider to be high yield. So this means when I look at my patient, I'm thinking, okay, like, what are they doing when they're not in their appointment with me? What do I need to help their body be able to do, perhaps? Or how might they be injuring themselves uh, knowingly or unknowingly when they're not in the clinic room? So work is a very important thing in my management of patients. And something which comes up very often is the idea of ergonomics. So I'm sure you have all heard of the term ergonomics. It comes from uh, erg or ergo meaning work and nomics meaning science of. And it's the science of how humans relate to their workplace. And there are different types of ergonomics. There's physical ergonomics, so how your body relates to your workplace. There's organizational ergonomics. I believe there's psychological ergonomics as well. There are all of these different types of ways that a human can relate to their workplace. But for the purposes of today's episode, we're just going to be focusing on physical ergonomics. Now, ergonomics has had kind of a renaissance in the the last 150 or so years. It wasn't really a thing until the late 1800s, but it first appeared actually in the 5th century uh, BCE when someone named Hippocrates, he's pretty famous, you might have heard of him, he described a surgeon's office setup. (laughs) So uh, they had surgeons back in ancient Greece because they had a lot of things back then. And he said, you know, the surgeon needs to have these tools in in this position and organized this way so that they can do their work most effectively. And that's kind of a, a good summary of ergonomics. It's like we need to have this stuff set up like this to help with the work outcome. However, there's a deep conflict at the heart of ergonomics. And this conflict started to appear when ergonomics, after uh, centuries of being not really a thing, came back into the public consciousness. So it was actually... um, so it was actually someone named Frederick Taylor in the 19th century who uh, pub- who made famous the idea of the scientific management method. And the idea of the scientific management method came from Taylor's studies of people who shoveled coal. So he was looking at these, these workers and saying, how can we get them to be more efficient at their work? His main concern was the work output, the end result. So he said, if we um, get a longer shovel handle, does that help? If we make the size of the shovel smaller, does that help? If we, um, I don't know, make the shovel like sharper or something. He was looking at how he could try to optimize that uh, worker's tool to improve their work outcome without any regard for the, the worker, by the way, other than how fast they were able to do that task. He was then followed by two Russian researchers, uh, two Vladimirs, Vladimir Bektorev and Vladimir oh, <laughs> Miasishev. I think I got that kind of right. And their aim, unlike Taylor, who only cared very clearly about the efficiency of the work being done, their aim was to have efficiency coupled with a minimum of health hazards absence of fatigue, and a guarantee of the sound health and all-round personal development of the working people. So these two researchers, they basically rejected Taylor's proposal to turn man into a machine. 
And unfortunately, based on what I, I hear from my patients and some of my own experience in different workplaces, I think that uh, probably most businesses today, they have kind of sided more with Taylor. I think there's a lot of prioritizing of the work outcomes instead of you know, really truly caring about the health of the employee. However, obviously every company is different. There's a lot of variability in this field. Some people have companies they absolutely praise and other people have companies that they do the opposite of in that regard. So when it comes to ergonomics itself, the way that it most often comes up in, in my work is patients will tell me, you know, oh, I've, I've had an ergonomics checkup. I've had the, I have this special chair and I have this like special mouse that I'm supposed to use and all these things, but they're not really helping. And the reason I think that's the case is because a lot of the science, which ergonomics is based off, if not all of the science, is based on people with normal connective tissue, or it's not taking into account people with hypermobile connective tissue. So we have information on interventions, which we have uh, evidence helps pe helps people in general, helps people with normal connective tissue, because that is the average person. But if we have a hypermobile person, they may not and are often not helped by those interventions. So that lumbar support cushion doesn't help. <laughs> that, uh, I don't know, that standing desk doesn't help at all, it makes things worse. Sitting upright with that perfect posture after being taught how to do it, that injures them. So hypermobile people are in a bit of a bind because even when they reach out to their workplace and they say like, hey, I, you know, I'm feeling really uncomfortable or I'm struggling with neck pain or back pain or whatever, can you help me? Their work, the, the offers that are being proposed by the workplace are often not suitable for these individuals. Today, I'm going to share how I support patients in managing life as an employee, uh, you know, and trying to get through that just work, essentially. Um, but before I get into that, there's kind of a choice that everyone has to make. And that choice is, do you feel confident talking to your workplace about accommodations? Or are you someone who wishes perhaps to just try and improve things as much as possible and in a way that's discreet and that keeps your, you know, all your health issues private to you? And again, that choice is really personal. I encourage everyone to think about their workplace and some of the expectations and some of the stigma, perhaps, and how that might affect them. Um, in a perfect world, we would all be able to talk to all of our workplaces about, about needs and support interventions, but that's not the reality. So as always, um, as I like to say on here, you do you. Think about what you want to do before you do it. And ideally, of course, do it with a qualified healthcare provider. Because as always, this episode is not in any way, shape or form medical advice. It is for informational purposes only. Okay, so when it comes to hypermobility in the workplace, the single biggest source of harm, in my opinion, is the, the sitting situation. So a lot of people uh, are told or are pressured to do this. They're, they're pressured to sit in a normal upright seated position. So feet on the floor, you know, knees at 90 degrees, hips at 90 degrees, back straight, elbows supported, that type of typing position. And we're talking here, of course, about workers in sedentary desk-based jobs. I'll talk about work that requires long periods of standing in a little bit, okay? But that position it injures hypermobile people. Their connective tissue, and again, that's the stuff, think of it like the glue in your body that holds everything together. It's not as sturdy. And the amount of energy and effort required to maintain that upright position often doesn't work for them. So what I recommend people do is try and change positions as much as they possibly can. So every 20 minutes or every half hour, literally just cycling through positions and saying, okay, I'm going to sit in that upright posture and then I'm going to cross one leg, cross the other. Maybe I'm going to stand at my desk for a bit. Maybe I'm going to sit in a different chair. Cycling through, I find, is the best way to help people avoid injury. 
And the analogy that I use for this is imagine if you had a pancake in a hot pan and you were trying to avoid burning it. If you couldn't take it out of the pan, what you would do is just keep flipping it. (laughs) So that's what we're doing here. We're trying to avoid having that person have essentially what would be classified almost as like a a repetitive strain injury. They're spending too much time, whatever too much might be, in that one position and being hurt. So what I encourage patients to do is just be changing constantly. Now, (laughs) this becomes a bit of a problem, of course, in open plan offices. So I have had patients who work in high profile kind of professional careers and they tell me, look, I can't be sitting weirdly at my desk because I'll get judged for that. And in that case, of course, we have to take a different strategy. But if you can change position, if you have a a chair that allows you to do so, I used to, um, I used to do that to my chair, for example, I take the armrests off back when I was working in a more desk based job, I would change the height of the chair up and down all the time just to try and like vary the position I was in. If you can change the position you're sitting in, that will help. And I will also uh, try to remember to link in the show notes some research about why sitting upright isn't as good for you as you might think it is. Um, I think it's this, like yet another way that we kind of punish ourselves by not being good enough is saying, oh, if only I was more perfect, if only I could just sit in that perfectly upright position, then I wouldn't have pain. And it's it's a really seductive and compelling idea. <laughs> Even from um, from a business perspective, if, if we think of healthcare as a business, because a lot of it is in, in many ways, um, if we think of the idea of like telling the patient, oh, you're not good enough. If, if, you're, if you work harder, if you sit upright better, then you won't be in pain. It's a way that we shift blame um, to the patient and say it's your fault. So I have a lot of thoughts on posture, but uh, in summary, just just change positions if you can do it. Somehow, some way, change position, different chair, different position, standing, sitting, do as much as you can there. Now, of course, you can also uh, certainly find ways to uh, affect the way that your feet relate to the ground. Some people find stools helpful. Some people like to have their legs dangling a bit. I have patients who hate when I have the treatment table so low that their feet are touching the floor. So be aware that Again, what you are told is perfect might not, and in fact, probably isn't going to be perfect for you. Additionally, some patients find it helpful to find time to have positions of what I call true rest. So again, hypermobile people, their tissues are loaded differently in different postures than a person with normal connective tissue has their tissues loaded. And a big issue I see at workplaces is neck pain, chronic neck pain. And my patients will describe it as like, it feels almost like their arms are like just ripping the tissue between their neck and their shoulder. It's a really intense pain. It often goes into a headache. And I like to use this like hand gesture. I'll do this in clinic. I say like, is your headache like this? And it kind of, it's like a claw coming out of the inside of your head. So it's affecting your eyes, your teeth, your your neck. And um, that happens because of the nerves and their relationship to the neck and the shoulder. But anyways, finding a way to have what's called true rest is very beneficial and it just means unloading those structures. So instead of having the arms hanging down too far unsupported and even if they're supported for a normal person, remember they might not be supported for a hypermobile body. What I recommend patients do is that they get cushions um, and try and elevate their armrests so they're up almost like this. Like I'm showing it, if you're watching the video version, hi, you can see me here. But having those arms really elevated takes tension off the neural tissue that runs between the shoulder and the neck. Additionally, it depends on your workplace, but some patients find it helpful to roll a towel, wrap that around their neck and use it just to lift through the side of their neck. Uh, And again, that's just, that's giving that person's body a way just to be truly at rest. 
um, because if you're a hypermobile person listening to this, you're going to know that getting injured from sitting or lying down or all these things that are supposed to be restful is normal for hypermobile people. So we have to be very strategic there. Additionally, um, a lot of people find it helpful to think differently in terms of uh, mice. So obviously a lot of workplace setups require people to have a mouse. Um, and the common recommendation when the mouse results or contributes potentially to something like a carpal tunnel syndrome or wrist pain is to give the person this like, I call it a penguin mouse. I don't know what it's called. It's like an upright joystick mouse thingy. Anyways, what I find works better and what I use with my patients is actually an animation tablet. So you can get tablets. I don't mean like iPad style tablet. I mean an animation tablet. It's a very different thing. But you can get these tablets from a company like Wacom, for example, and they don't have to be expensive. Like don't get the expensive one unless if you're an animator, okay? But you literally have like a little pen, a little stylus, and you just tap on it depending on where you want the cursor to go. And they are incredibly lightweight. And because they don't require the same pressure as writing, it's not painful in the way that writing is for some people. And it's an intervention which, which I think can make a big difference. And certainly it's an option worth having. So I've had patients with very complex wrist injuries who ended up ultimately using a combination of that like joystick penguin mouse thing and the um, animation tablet, and they found that really effective. So again, if you see a theme here, it's thinking outside the box. As well, um, being aware that you might be more sensitive to temperature changes because a lot of hypermobile people have issues with, with something called thermal regulation. So making sure that you have a blanket at your desk or that you have layers that you can take off perhaps, but being aware that you are going to want a very narrow temperature range and that it's unlikely that your office is going to be able to get that perfect for you potentially, and just having a strategy in place to deal with that can make a big difference. Now, of course, we have to think of the human themselves. And then I don't know if this counts as ergonomics because ergonomics is the person relating to the environment. But when it comes just to getting through the workday, it's very important to think of things like hydration. So a lot of people find having a little bit of salt with their water beneficial. Again, there will be some patients that this is not safe for. So speak with your medical doctor before making any changes, please. But if you're someone like me who grew up during the low salt, low fat era, <laughs> it can be helpful to try adding in a little bit of salt with your water. So maybe having some cucumber slices with salt sprinkled on them or a few salt and vinegar crisps or just something to get your salt intake up a little bit. Put salt on your food if you want <laughs> or have an electrolyte uh, tablet or such uh, it or whatever. The reason that this works is because as my grade 11 biology teacher liked to always say, water follows salt. So when you drink water, in order for it to be absorbed through your kidneys, you need to have enough salt in your body to make that chemical process happen. So water follows salt. And if you're someone and you feel like you're just drinking like liters of water and then you're going to the bathroom and it's clear, and that, that was me growing up, by the way, think of upping your salt intake because it might make a big difference. And when it comes to upping salt intake, and we'll do a whole episode on this one day because I have a lot of thoughts on it, but I like to think of dynamic dosing. So for me, I have like a base level of salt that I'm making sure I get every day as a supplement. But if it's hot, I'll take a bit extra. And if I've worked out that day, I'll take a bit extra. So I have, I'm able to adjust my dose depending on what I've asked my body to do that day, which makes a lot of sense. As well, 
thinking in terms of nutritional intake. So I was literally just talking about this with a patient last night. And um, they were saying that they felt like they're a little bit differently, um, that they're a little bit sensitive when it comes to caloric intake. And if they go too long without eating, they feel like they start to crash and they think that they have maybe like a, a blood sugar issue, but everything's come back normal. And one thing that I find um, seems to help a lot of hypermobile individuals is just trying to really regulate um, what you're taking in and when. So making sure that you're eating at regular intervals and maybe even having smaller meals more often. That is something that research does seem to uh, suggest improves quality of life for hypermobile people, partly due to uh, potential digestion issues and so on. But making sure that you're eating off, that you're getting enough calories in is key. And in all honesty, the single biggest issue I see in my patients are people who are not getting enough calories in, or they're waking up, they're feeling a bit poorly, and then they're not eating until late at night where they're having a big meal, and they're having that kind of irregularity in caloric intake. So trying to find a snack that you can just like have throughout the day that's healthy and that's kind to your body might be yet another way that you can make a difference. And of course, again, this, this isn't going to be a groundbreaking tip, but blue light blocking glasses. Hypermobile people often have eye issues. They're sometimes a little bit sensitive. So having blue light blocking glasses can make a big difference. If you've never tried them, I recommend you try them. They're not that expensive. You can get a pair online and I swear by them and a lot of my patients swear by them. So definitely give those a try. Now, I hope that I've given you at least a, a few ideas in terms of things you can do at the, the workplace if you're a sedentary worker that are pretty discreet. I'm now going to talk briefly about workers who have to stand because I once waitressed for about three weeks and it was very, very hard. Um, so standing up for long periods of time is really challenging for hypermobile people. And long doesn't mean like eight hours. <laughs> like long for me means like half an hour or an hour. Um, and this is for a variety of reasons. So a lot of hypermobile people have issues with blood pressure regulation. And what I mean by this is that when they go from sitting or lying down to standing, their body struggles to accommodate that change in posture to regulate their blood pressure. And some people will have a form of orthostatic intolerance that's classified as POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. It's a very specific thing with a specific set of diagnostic criteria. But other people will have orthostatic hypotension, which seems to be a lot more common based on my clinical work. And this type of sensitivity to uh, blood pressure uh, dysregulation is common in the hypermobile uh, world. I would say that the majority of my patients seem to have a, a slightly abnormal blood pressure. And I think a big problem, again, that hypermobile people run into is that we privilege low blood pressures. Um, growing up, I was someone who always had 90 over 60 blood pressure. I felt cold all the time. I felt lightheaded. I didn't feel great. But every time um, I saw my family doctor, they were like, wow, your blood pressure is so low. You must be in such good health. No. Low blood pressure does not make you feel good. And 90 over 60 is really the cutoff they use. So again, a lot of people are at that kind of cutoff line. When you stand for long periods of time, if you're someone who's hypermobile and if it affects your cardiovascular system, which again, it doesn't affect everyone in the same way. So please speak with your qualified uh, and trusted healthcare provider. But we run into issues with things, for example, like blood pooling. So feeling like your legs are really, really heavy, feeling like they're swollen, even if they aren't visibly swollen or feeling like they're in pain is common for a lot of hypermobile people. And the way to relieve this is to lie down or to be able to sit at least. But if you're doing a job like um, serving at a restaurant, that's not an option for you. So in that situation, my advice is if it's possible, um, 
honestly, I found working in retail so much easier. Uh, if you can find a nice boss who will let you sit down. If you work in the restaurant industry, like speaking with your boss and seeing if you can perch on a bar stool, if there's time in between, um, that type of work. Um, I was out for dinner the other night and the server took a seat to take our orders. And I, I don't mind that. I'm the type of customer, like I told, I said, I'm so happy you're taking a seat because I know how uncomfortable my feet were when I was working as a server. So sit as long as you like. Um, I know she had work to do, but I was happy to have her sitting down to take our order. So my hope is that the industry itself will change over time. However, I'm very aware that working in restaurants is hugely high pressure and that there are certain demands and that people have to stand. So you have to stand. Here's how you do it. Tip number one, compression socks can make a big difference. Um, I held off on wearing them for a long time. They're not the cutest. They're not the most comfortable, um, but they really make a difference. So if you're someone who's standing for long periods of time, I strongly recommend that you get a pair. Um, there are all different types. I think the best entry point is looking at like a sports pair. Um, so I bought a pair from a, a company that make them for cyclists. And I found those work really well for me. I wear them at clinic. You might see me in them if you see me at clinic. Um, additionally, thinking of the type of surface you're standing on. So a lot of hypermobile people end up being prescribed hard orthotics. And although like the concept in theory is correct, the execution is deeply problematic. I cannot tell you how many people I've had to tell to throw out 500 pound orthotics. And it makes me very sad to have to do that because I know they've spent money on them from some other healthcare provider, but they end up injuring patients and they injure hypermobile people because the hard orthotic literally presses into and compresses the bottom of the foot. And what it seems like hypermobile people really benefit from, in, in addition to some mild support, not, not a big correction, but like a mild correction, they benefit from a soft, uh, standing on a soft surface, like a soft kind of springy surface. So I think that we need to perhaps think more carefully when it comes to orthotics and the materials that we're being that we're using to make them, or the maybe putting an insole on top, maybe something that's like a, a memory foam or something. But it's I compare it to someone punching the bottom of your foot. It's why a lot of hypermobile people can't wear Birkenstocks because the hard bottom of the shoe injures the bottom of their foot. So thinking of what you're wearing when you stand, if you're someone who's in a job where you have to stand, can help. As well, trying to walk as much as possible. So the thing I hear over and over again when I make content about standing on my social media accounts is, I can walk for hours, but I can't stand for more than 20 minutes. And I'm like, yes, I understand you. Be and I think that's because when you're walking, your calf pump mechanism, so that's um, basically a, a structure in the back of the calf, which helps with the re return of blood and lymphatic fluid from your leg and your feet up all the way back to your, your heart and your head. But that mechanism works through dorsiflexion. And that's a term that describes the movement if you're walking of your knee going over your toes. So it's like if you're sitting down, it's if you point your toes up toward your head. Um, and if you're walking, you're making sure that that fluid is getting kind of pushed back up. But when you're standing, it's just pooling. So if you can find ways to kind of put a walk in or be that person to say like, hey, I'll, I'll do that walk or whatever, that might help as well. Now, finally, I do want to say there is a place for mobility aids and braces, um, and there are people who need them. And there are a lot of people who need them who are unable to access them or who feel embarrassed or stigmatized. And firstly, I want to tell you you're not alone. 
Um, I have so many patients who feel very self-conscious, especially because often in hypermobile people, they will need them one day and not need them the next because it can be in some instances a dynamic uh, disability and an invisible disability. So firstly, if you feel self-conscious, you're not alone. Um, and I, there are a lot of great disability advocates and other creators out there who can speak better on this than I can. But we, my hope is that in the future, we'll have a world where people are supported and just doing what they need to do for their bodies because there's nothing wrong with that but um in terms of mobility aids of course talking to your workplace being like i might need this um and having a healthcare provider even maybe support you in that so i wrote a letter for a patient recently and um i was worried i, I was a bit strong in tone but i said this patient needs this and this is why and they need this this and this and some days they need this and other days they won't need this and this is how it is and um, I sent it to the patient and because I, I wanted her opinion on the letter before I finalized it. And she was like, no, that like that all that all seems correct based on that's all correct based on my experience. Um, thank you for mentioning all that. Uh, and then she submitted the letter to the department that she was submitting it to. And apparently they found the clarity in my letter really helpful. So if you're a clinician listening to this, don't be shy to be clear in letters when it comes to patients disability needs. And making sure that you're explaining to that workplace or that school or whatever, this is exactly how things are and this is exactly what this person needs and this is exactly how you can support them. Because a lot of HR departments, they don't even know what HEDS or HSD are. So giving that clear support can really help people in accessing what they need. As well, we can think in terms of things that I call like minimal bracing. So there's a device called the Body Braid. I have no financial relationship with them. Um, I bought one with my own money. I think it's pretty good. But there are little braces and supports that people wear that can sometimes help just support their tissue in terms of how they're having to position their body at work. And that's something which I, I do think people should certainly look into. And we'll have to talk more about that next time. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. I hope that you've learned something new. I hope that you've learned something interesting. And hey, maybe you've learned something that you're going to try out at your workplace or your school or whatever. Uh, if you have any questions, please do feel free to write in. And I look forward to seeing you all or having you join me next time, uh, whether that be listening to me, maybe through uh, one of your apps or watching me on YouTube because we now have video. Take care. Bye.